All right, everybody, it's so good to see you. My name is Matt Wolf, lead pastor here at Stapleton Church. We're all about helping people follow Jesus, and we want to help you follow Jesus even today. So I'm glad that you guys are here. Um, isn't that cool to see those three mission trips that we sent this, this summer? That's pretty awesome, right? We sent 23 people to three different locations, three different countries, really, and we impacted, we, we counted some 500 people that were either helped, served, or heard the gospel of Jesus Christ through our people going out. So that's a huge impact for us, you know, kind of small church compared to some bigger churches, which is awesome. So that's pretty exciting, right? Some of you couldn't make it work to go on a mission trip. Always keep your eyes open. We're going to have lots of mission trips in the future. We have a church mobilization specialist in our church, Jimmy Smith. That's literally his title. And this is what he does. He helps churches go on mission trips. So he's part of our um, church, many, many of you know. And if you're like, well, man, I can't go overseas. I can't do whatever. Hey, this Saturday, help us with our Community Impact Day. You can sign up on that back table. We want to get you out painting, and if you can't physically go out there, we want you praying or giving some money to help with to purchase supplies and all that good stuff. But we are now in our series, the second week in our series, called Undignified Worship Like a King. You like that tagline? Worship Like a King. And who's the king we're looking at? David. Oh, he, Jesus is a good king, too. He's a great worshiper. But we're going to learn from David, who really kind of taught God's people how to worship. He kind of established how to do it. And in fact, he was such an incredible worshiper that the Psalms in our Bible, which is Psalm is another word for song, he wrote 73 of the 150 Psalms that we have. David was this prolific songwriter. And last week we were introduced to him after he had already become king. We're going to jump back in time for our message today. And we're going to talk about how worship is warfare. Worship is warfare. Kind of a, an aspect of worship that maybe some of us have never thought of it before what worship is. And what I don't mean by that is the worship wars. Has anyone heard that term before? Worship wars? This is, uh, maybe you've never heard that term before, but it was something that kind of started in about the, the 1970s and into the 80s, carried on in the 90s, and even still going on today in some churches and denominations. But it was a fight over worship style. It was over the form of music. Some of you maybe grew up in one of those churches when you're like, am I supposed to stand up now? Sit down, stand up hymnal, you got all your songs in that hymnal. There's the pipe organ that's louder than any rock band you've ever heard. That's how my church was as a kid. I remember that. Do I stand up? And you stand up at the wrong time. Oh, no. Sit down at the wrong time. Oh, man. You're trying to worship. And, and the choirs, were they would just belt out these songs. I remember that. The pipe organ, it was awesome. Um, and then I remember when I was a little bit older going to a church. and Whoa, there's a drum set? I didn't know you could have a real drum set. Not one of those cheesy electronic ones. Like, whoa, you can worship like that, too. And so I'm going to tell you the answer to which style is the best style today. None of them. <laughs> They're all the best style. It doesn't matter because it's not about style when it comes to worship. It's about substance. I have seen some old hymns that have terrible theology. And I've heard some new songs that are the deepest, most robust song that I could ever even imagine, filled with such deep truths and vice versa, right? There's some old hymns that have beautiful, powerful melodies that will stick with you. You know, if you ever catch me having a quiet time by myself, sometimes even at the park, I, I'm often singing old hymns because I have these melodies that are so powerful. And sometimes you get the, the new songs with the new melody and it's like you heard it last week and you're already sick of it, right? So this happens. It doesn't matter when the song was written, what style it was. And you could see in our video, even just in our own country, there are hundreds, dozens, thousands of different ways you could worship. But the point is who you are worshiping. 
You know, I think it's really funny. For a long time, people were, you know, kind of talking some of the new songs. They call them 7-Eleven songs. You ever heard that term before? It's because they sing the same seven words 11 times. And whenever I heard that, like, I was like, oh, yeah, that's, there's some songs like that. But then you read, like, a psalm like Psalm 118. It says the same line over and over and over again. And sometimes you're like, well, it's just too long. I, you know, I get too long. And then you read Psalm 119. That was a song. <laughs> that was a song. And it was so long. It, in my Bible reading plan, it's like three days to read the one psalm. So long. So I, I think it's funny because there's all sorts of different ways to worship, all sorts of different style, but it's not about style. It's about substance and about who we are worshiping. Because that's what we learned last week. We were introduced to David, this new king. He was coming on the scene, and he had just been victorious. After years and years and years of waiting, he finally was declared king over all the nations. He had defeated the enemy in a civil war, and then he had taken out some of the opposing enemies. And even there was uh, these people that were living in Jerusalem at the time. He conquered them and made that his capital, the city of David. And he had this huge parade because he was victorious. He was coming into his city, but then kind of God taught him a lesson. And in fact, we learned last week, and if you ever miss a message, we have the audio and video available on our website, stapletonchurch.com. You can subscribe. Do you know that? Get it sent to your phone in your sleep. Audio or video, I encourage you to do that because so many times you're gone. But in that message last week, we saw David in the parade, and, and this guy dies in the middle of the parade. It kind of throws everything off, but David realized through that that it wasn't about him. It wasn't his parade. It was God's parade. And that's what we learned last week. It's not your parade. Our lives, the way we sing, the way we pray, everything we do is about God and not us. It's not your parade. That's what we learned last week. And even if you weren't here, we're going to build off that this week because we're going to talk about this small aspect of worship, but it's so important. And we don't even realize we're doing it, but worship is warfare. Simple big idea, but it's so important. I want you guys to get it because some of you aren't even aware that you're in this battle that's raging all around you and it's time to declare war. And I'm going to train you today how to do that and worship. So we jump in this story. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16 today, verse 14. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and jump there. We're not going to read every verse in this uh, chapter, though every word, every verse is important. So read it on your own this week. But we jump into this story and it says, Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Like, who's Saul? Good question. Saul was actually the king before David. Uh, God's people were kind of split up and divided. There's all these different tribes. You read about this in the book of Judges. And they would only come together when a judge or a champion would raise up to fight the enemy. But finally they said, We need a king. And God said, Okay, I'll give you a king. Here's Saul. He was a great tall warrior. Everybody liked him, but he didn't do what God told him to do. God chose him, and then he chose not to obey God. And God finally said, I'm going to reject you. And that's when he said, I've got to find a king after my own heart. I've got to find someone that actually does want to obey me. And that's when God anointed this young boy, David. Nobody really knew who he was. He was the eighth son, the smallest, youngest son of a shepherd. He himself was a shepherd. Out in the fields, but yet God shows him. And that happened right in the beginning of chapter 16. So that's where we're moving up to this. And right when when David is anointed king, it's this. The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Saul, the king of Israel. God removed his spirit from him. Now I want to explain this very clearly. Because we as believers, those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus' spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes inside of you. You ever... Heard the term asking Jesus into your heart? 
That's what we're talking about. The Holy Spirit comes inside of you to live. And when you become a believer, you cannot lose the Holy Spirit. It's a deposit guaranteeing your salvation. That's what the scriptures say. So I want to say that. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit operated in a different manner. He did. This is the third person of the Godhood. Uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. And this third person would come on a person for a certain amount of time to empower them, to give them a gift, to help them accomplish something, and then the Spirit would leave that person. You saw this with Saul, with someone like Samson. That's how he was so strong. The Holy Spirit came on him, and when he was so weak, it says the Spirit had departed him. And that's what happened in the Old Testament. That's how God worked for a time until Jesus had come, sent his Spirit, and now we can have it forever. Awesome. Pretty cool, right? So we got that same Spirit. But at this time, the Holy Spirit now has left Saul. And it says, an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. What? You weren't expecting that this morning, were you? What does that mean? What does that mean? We're going to spend a little bit of time talking about this, because this sounds a little crazy, doesn't it? An evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. So the first thing I want you to understand, before we can understand this at all, this passage is that God does not sin. He is not the direct author of any evil. He is perfect, he is good, he is righteous, he is just. In fact, we see this multiple times in the Bible. In 1 John, we read that God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. No darkness. He's absolutely no darkness. And then in James 1.13, we're told, when a person is tempted, they shouldn't say, God is tempting me, God can't be tempted by evil, and he doesn't tempt anyone. God is perfect. He does not cause sin. He does not cause evil at all. But here's the other thing. God is always in control. He's always in control. We see this in Lamentations 3.38. We read, Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? What this means is that God is not the author of evil. He does not cause evil, but he's always in control when evil happens. And nothing happens that he's not in control over. Sometimes God deliberately allows hard, bad, evil, awful things to happen. Now, we've talked about this before, and some, some of you are like, I hate that. That's not true. That can't be true. It's, it's true. And this is what I want to say to you. If you're struggling with this truth, because it's a difficult truth, is that the alternative would be far worse. It would be far worse if God wasn't in control when bad things happen, because then who knows what could happen to you. But God is in control, and he's working in those things, sometimes to test you, sometimes to challenge you to grow. Sometimes he's, he's working in all sorts of different ways in other people around you, and you don't even know. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That's what we're told. But for Saul at this point in his life, God has allowed this evil spirit to torment him. Deliberately allowed it. Torment. This is not good. So I want to focus on this word evil for just a minute. Because did you notice back in Lamentations 3, that verse we just looked at? When it said calamitous, calamities and good things? That word calamities in Hebrew is the exact same word as evil spirit in 1 Samuel. Evil, bad, calamitous. You can interpret it a lot of different ways. And I bring this up because there are two ways to interpret this phrase, evil spirit. And you're going to have to figure it out on your own. <laughs> I try to, I'm, I'm going to teach you a little bit about 
what it could be, but there are two possibilities, and I think the Bible kind of leaves it ambiguous on purpose. Sometimes we, we don't know exactly. So the most obvious reading would be what? That that evil spirit, if we can save that verse for just a second, thanks, Kelly. Uh, the, the most obvious explanation is that evil spirit is what? A demon. One of the fallen angels of God, this evil spirit that works not for God, but for Satan, the great accuser. That's literally what Satan means, accuser. So that's one and maybe the most obvious explanation that this is a demon that has come to tempt Saul. And I think that this is maybe the more likely possibility. Um, And I say that because elsewhere in Scripture, in places like Judges chapter 9, in the book of Kings, and in the first two chapters of Job, we're kind of peeled back the, you know, the heavenly realms, and it's these demons and Satan come to God and say, can I tempt that person? Can I, can I throw everything I got at him? And God says, yes. He allows that to happen. And in fact, even Jesus said this. He told his disciples in the Gospel of Luke, he, he said, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And then God allowed them to go through some pretty terrible things. But God was doing that and always in control. He's allowing the the demon, allowing the the forces of darkness to be at work. But there's the second interpretation too, isn't there? It would say that it's just saying a bad spirit, not a supernatural spirit, but more of a psychological spirit. And what I found is that people are kind of split on this. Theologians, even very, very biblically conservative commentators and scholars would say that, hey, this, this is maybe just some kind of psychological thing that's coming upon Saul. And if you know anything about Saul and his life, he was kind of messed up. I mean, David, we're going to see, served him, loved him, did everything for him, and Saul tried to kill him a bunch of times, throwing his spear just in the fit of rage. So you're like, what's going on there? Is he like a paranoid schizophrenic? Is he coming over with some psychosis? Is something like, what's going on? Is it something psychological? Is he bipolar? We don't really know. That's a possible explanation of what's going on here. That this evil spirit, it's talking about his spirit, you know, it's, it's, it's evil. Something's come upon him from inside. So why I put those two alternatives is because it's possible to be both. And maybe you can debate for yourselves after the service. You can get, get lunch with someone. What do you think? What do you think? And I think it's kind of purposely ambiguous about what it is. I would lean towards the first explanation, like I said, because you see that um, from other places in the scripture. But in this passage, you could go either way. But what I do want to say is whatever way you interpret this story that we're looking at today, is you can fall into two errors. Two errors. And C.S. Lewis talks about this in the preface to his book, Screwtape Letters. He says that when people think about demons and darkness and evil, they fall into one of two traps, one of two errors. On, on one side, this one ditch on this side of the road, is to see everything around you as demons. Whenever you do something bad, well, the devil made me do it. You know, there's demons under every rock, every tree. There's, you know, a demon causing every bad thing to happen. Don't fall into that trap because not everything is because of a demon. Sometimes you are just stupid. You're the reason why that bad thing happened. So that's one error that you can fall into. And the second one is to be, I'm a modern person. I need science to prove everything. There are no demons. It's all psychological and social issues. But that is ignoring the reality of our universe. And I want to challenge you because some of you come in this morning and you say, I believe in science. I've seen the signs in your yard. I believe in science. Unless I can see it, it doesn't exist. But there's so much 
Can't you just keep an open mind for just this message? Just keep an open mind that maybe there are supernatural forces that you cannot see that interact in our world. I mean, it would explain a lot. Here's the other thing. If you go around the world, because we, you know, as Westerners think we're so brilliant, but the majority of our world thinks that there are dark spiritual forces. You go to Africa, you go to Central and South America, you go to Asia, and they know the spiritual forces of darkness are real. So just maybe keep an open mind today. And this is the other thing I want to tell you, quoting the usual suspects. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Maybe he just wants you to think he's not there. And here's the next thing. Uh, Andrew Del Banco, he's not even a believer. He's, by his own profession, a liberal secularist. He's a professor at Columbia University, and he wrote in his book, The Death of Satan. He said, as the 20th century has gone on, so he wrote this at the end of the last century, it has gotten harder and harder to say Holocaust and ethnic cleansing and serial killing are just bad psychological and sociological adjustment. Do you really think it's all psychological explanation for the awful atrocities of our world? Really? He says this, and he's not even a believer. He said there's got to be something more evil because you cannot explain it any other way. You cannot explain it any other way. So I just want you to not fall into that ditch either. Don't fall into that area error. Because maybe, just maybe, there are spiritual forces of darkness that you cannot see. Okay? And so we're like, okay, what is it? Is it a demon? Is it psychological assault? Which one? Here's the thing. It's probably somewhere in between. Some combination of both. And that's why you can't go to one side or the other because, because it, it's usually both. I heard this, this great metaphor from a uh, Christian counselor, his name... It's John White, and he wrote in this book talking about this issue. And he said, you know, the way the devil works, the way that demons operate, is a lot like a piano. Have you ever opened up a piano? Maybe you've taken the top off, or, or maybe after the service you can go back and be gentle with our old piano, but open up the lid. Have you ever looked inside? Do you know what's in there? Strings. There are three strings for every key. So for one note, there's these three strings, and they have to be tuned But do you know what happens when you sing into an open piano? The note that you are singing vibrates that string. It resonates with your note that you're singing. Most of us don't know what note we're singing unless we have perfect pitch. I don't. So I go back there, sing a note, and whatever note that is, it's going to vibrate. And that's how the devil works. Because we do have these psychological things. We do have the way we were raised, all these things going on inside of us. And what happens is the devil knows what's in there. He just sings that note. We're down on ourselves, beating ourselves up. Ah, you're a terrible person and you have this voice in your head that's always like down on you, down on you, down on you. That's already in you. Because of things that happened in your past. Because of things that happened to you. And then the, the devil kind of just whispers that sings that same note, and it resonates inside your soul. So which one is it? Is it the devil or the demon, or is it psychological? Probably somewhere in between. We never can know in this life which one it is. So we need to be aware because we need to go to war. We need to be careful. We don't realize that there are these forces of darkness outside of us and within us. We have this sinful nature inside of us that are fighting against the best thing for us. We've got to go to war, and that's why we need to learn that worship is warfare. 
And that's what we're going to see in this story. So, so Saul is having these issues. This evil spirit is coming on him. Some kind of combination maybe of psychological and spiritual forces. We don't know. But what we do know is that his attendants were there, his, his servants. And they were saying, man, we've got to do something about this guy. Because when he gets into his fits of rage, we can't handle him. You know, you had a really, really bad boss. It's like that. He's going to kill someone. I mean, he literally tried to kill David a bunch of times. They're like, we've got to do something, his servants say. So let's get him a musician. To play for him. This is probably maybe the first instance of music therapy, right? So we need a musician. We've got to get somebody in here. And one of the guys is like, I heard this musician play. We've got to get him. His name's David. Let's go find this guy. And he was probably not well known, maybe not known at all. So let's bring David in here. He's such a good musician. So they introduce him to Saul. David comes in there and he plays. And it says he plays on a lyre, which is like a mini harp. You know, so what I looked up, that the strings were all the same length, whereas a harp, they're kind of different lengths, and that's that big old thing, right? But you could play a lyre like in one hand, okay? So imagine David's coming in, and that's like the instrument of the day. He's coming in, and he plays, and his music is so good, so powerful, that Saul loves it. And he says, you've got to start working for me. And then he promotes him to be his armor bearer, meaning this is a really high, important position for, for David. Saul's saying, this guy's important, I need him. And then here we read at the very end of our chapter in verse 23, whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. Musical therapy, maybe? Kind of seems that way, doesn't it? Music is playing and then that evil spirit, maybe psychological, this demon, goes away, is cast out. Because the music that's been playing, that's soothing his soul. Now, I think it's a little bit more than musical therapy, but I don't know if you guys knew this, but music's kind of a cool thing, isn't it? It's a pretty amazing thing. Some of you guys, like when you're in a certain mood, you, you, you play a certain type of music to get in a different mood. You've been there? When you're like really, you know, angry at somebody, you listen to your Taylor Swift, shake it off. Right? Or, or when you like, need to feel more power, it's like, got to get Katy Perry on. We've got to roar. Okay, you got your Kanye. What, I don't know what music you listen to, but you get something to kind of pump you up or maybe to calm you down. Listen to some Enya, right? Our daughter fell asleep to Enya every night for the first year of her life. <laughs> it's so calming and soothing. Oh, I just need that Enya. But music does this, doesn't it? It kind of works in our soul. And here's an interesting thing. I read this article in the New York Times about a study that was done at MIT. Neuroscientists at MIT studied the brain while music was being played. And what they found is that in the temporal lobe, a doctor told me after the first service which lobe it was, in the temporal lobe there's this section of your brain that only is lit up when music is being played. And they found it so fascinating because when other sounds are played, that area of the brain doesn't light up. Even when someone speaks, that part of the brain doesn't light up. But when music is played, when there's a melody, when there's notes, something happens in our brain. So God created us inside of our brains. We had to have MIT professors tell us this. Something happens in our brains when music happens, when music is played. That's how we were created to be. I talked with Callie Schur before the first service, and she's like, Matt, I'm so excited for this series. I said, well, why? Why are you excited? She said, Well, you know, your words are great, no offense, but I just love music. There's something powerful about when we sing in worship. And I said, yeah, you're you're right on. There's something so powerful about music. 
And that's why we combine it with not just hearing my words that I say. Because here's one of the other things that happens. I know that you probably will forget most of what I say. Hopefully not all, but most of it. But you'll keep singing those songs. You really do. You keep singing those songs. And I don't care what your worship style is. You have these songs stuck in your head. You know, I love a lot of the old hymns. If you ever catch me, even at the park, sometimes I'm having a quiet time, I will be singing hymns to myself. Well, not to me, myself, but people think I'm crazy, I'm sure. I am a little bit. But I sing old hymns because I, I have those words stuck in my mind. I have those old melodies just deep in my soul. And you can do the same thing with modern songs. There are some that, that have really resonated with my soul too. But we sing these songs and there's something happening, right? But I think it's more than just musical therapy here. That's good. Keep listening to your Enya. But I think there's something more going on here because of one of the verses I skipped. <laughs> So let's go back in our passage. Let's go back in our passage. In verse 18, as these servants were introducing David to Saul, it says, one of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse, that's David, of Bethlehem, who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. It's really not important for a musician, but I think he was like trying to, hey, Saul, you got to get this guy. He's, he's tough. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, because that's definitely what you need in a musician. Sorry, Mick Jagger. But it says this. This is so important. He says, and the Lord is with him. I think this is the most important. Who cares how he looks? Who cares if he's a warrior? But if the Lord is with him, that elevates his music to another level. Because God is involved. I'll show you in another place. Before this, this section of the chapter starts, in verse 13, as David is being anointed by the prophet Samuel, it says, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David as king. From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. Came powerfully on him. And we know that in the next verse it says the Holy Spirit left Saul. So David's music was great, I'm sure. He's sure he could play a face-melting solo, right? But... When the Holy Spirit was inside of him, it took his music to another level. And it stopped being just music. It started being warfare. Spiritual warfare. Against whatever the Spirit is. David's music. And we're not told that he sang right then. But he played music and it was from the Lord. He didn't start playing this music until the Holy Spirit came on him. So his music had a certain power to it. And we know that David wrote lots of songs. Hundred and uh, or what did I tell you? Seventy-three just in the Book of Psalms, and there's several others throughout the history books, First and Second Samuel into First and Second Chronicles. There's all sorts of songs David wrote, and these are probably just the best ones. I'm sure, he wrote even more. Uh, I said last week he'd make Bob Dylan, you know, look, you know, come on, that's all the songs he wrote. Come on, man. David was prolific, and his words are so powerful, and he would lead his people and us in turn to sing. Because when we join in in that scene, we join in in the song. We join in in the spiritual warfare. Because worship is warfare. Worship is warfare. You know, we see this in another place. In one of the Psalms David wrote, in Psalm 8-2, we, say, we read, Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. There's something special about the worship of kids, and I think Jesus picks this up in the New Testament. 
But it's from praise. And we are the children of God. And as we sing, as we praise God, something powerfully, something powerful is happening even to establish a stronghold against all our enemies. Whoever's coming out against us, even if it's ourselves. Our worship is warfare. Our worship is warfare. And I want to train you how to do this. I want to train you how to do this. So, you know, I, I said that... Uh, the enemy, when he comes out against us, he kind of resonates with something in our soul. And, and a lot of times it's a lie. It's a lie and we get ourselves to believe this. In John 8, 4, we're told, uh, uh, if we can go back a little bit, we're taught about Satan. And it says, the devil has nothing to do with the truth. There is no truth in him. It is expected of the devil to lie, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So this is how the enemy attacks us. This, this alteration of the truth, this lie. He did this at the very beginning in the garden. Did God really say, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Did God really say that? He, he tries to twist the truth. And he does this in our minds and in our hearts. You guys know this because you tell yourselves some lies. I know you do. Have you ever had that voice in your head? You're not good enough. You're ugly. You're worthless. Am I the only one? We all have these lies going on in our head. And I, you know, can say, was well, that a demon? I don't know. Maybe it's your sinful nature. Maybe it sounds like even the voice of that teacher, that parent from years ago, that coach who said that nasty stuff to you. I was watching a TED Talk, and it was with a psychologist, not a believer, not a Christian. And he was talking about how we do this to ourselves, this negative self-talk, this negative self-talk. And he told a story about this woman, this woman he knew, and she was going on her first date in, a, in years. Woman goes on the date, sits down. Halfway through the date, the man stands up and says, I'm not interested, and walks out. So that woman calls a friend, as the psychologist tells the story. And, and the friend says, Well, what did you expect? What did you expect? You're ugly, your hips are too wide, and you're worthless. How could anyone love you? Pretty awful friend, right? Well, here's the thing. She didn't call a friend. She told herself that. And that story he was telling, I'm like, yeah, that's what we do, isn't it? Man, could you imagine if someone said that to you? But we say it to ourselves again and again and again. We echo these lies. We tell ourselves these lies. You're terrible. You're worthless. And what we need to do is combat the lies of the enemy with the truth of God. And we need to learn to do it because we are in this battle for our soul and there are spiritual forces that we don't even see around us attacking us. We're taught this in Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6 we read, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Schemes because he tries one thing to attack you, and if you figure that out, he tries to attack you from a different way. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But he says this, this is how we fight. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. So we have the word of God, the truth of God that is given to us. And we need to get ready to fight with that truth. And we do it through prayer and a specific type of prayer, worshipful prayer. Did you know that when we sing on Sunday mornings, when we come together, 
you're actually praying? Maybe you've never thought about it like that. But you're praying to God and you're either talking to him, asking for things, or you're declaring his truth. And we do that. Our worship time as we sing, it's praying. It's back and forth. I don't know if you knew that. But we need to take these truths to God and and get to, to fighting. Some of you didn't even know this war was going on. And that's maybe why you feel so awful about yourself. But it's time to fight. It's time to declare war. Time to declare war. You know... This is a hard thing to do. See, Thomas Brooks, who's one of the old Puritans, said, prayer is a scourge to the devil. I like this quote. David's heart was often more out of tune than his harp. He prays, and then in spite of the devil, cries, return unto your rest, O my soul. Prayer is the gate of heaven, a key to let us into paradise. There is nothing that renders Satan's plot fruitless like prayer. And when you're singing those prayers, it's even more powerful. That's why we need to learn and be trained for worship. Now, I want you to look in your bulletin right now. I want you to pull out your bulletin. Can you guys do that? And, and there's something inside of there. Could you hold up that little insert? Could you hold that up, Molly? Okay, I put this together for you, and I need to say a special thank you to Jackie Mudd, because this morning I changed it completely, and it's 7 a.m., and she printed it all out for you. But you'll see in this four different areas that we get attacked, four different lies and four different things we struggle with. And for each of these four different sections, I've listed 34 different types of attacks that come against us. These are some that you would probably be familiar with. They're lies that we tell ourselves, they're emotions we feel, things that we're going through. And I gave you a psalm of David, one that he wrote to help you through that, because David experienced that too. And I hope that this psalm will help take you out of that. Because what you're going to see again and again and again, we'll look at a few examples, again and again and again, is that David starts in a terrible, awful place. He's struggling, he's mad, he's angry, people are attacking him or he's attacking himself. And then he leads himself into worship. So these are songs, right? He starts in a terrible place and he leads himself to a better place. Sometimes he goes back. It's like, I'm still struggling. But then he goes back. In the span of ten verses, he'll go back and forth a few different times when you read the Psalms. But I picked out some of the, the Psalms that I think are the most impactful for my life and hopefully for you as well. But then I added another section. A song you could sing. So I want you to take that. You're going to look at that and be like, Matt, this is me. I'm struggling with this right now. This is the scheme the devil's using against me. And I want you to memorize that passage. And I want you to put those songs on your Spotify playlist. Or buy them if you still do that. Listen to those songs. Sing them. Memorize them. Get them into your soul and declare war. If you don't fight, you're going to lose. But the great thing is that we fight out of victory. We fight out of victory because Jesus defeated all the spiritual forces of darkness on the cross. He defeated the devil. He defeated sin. He defeated death on the cross. And he rose from the dead to prove it. He has all power on this earth. And that's the power we live with for those of us who are Christians. His spirit is in you. I want to show you just a few of these sections that, so you can see how this works. So the first one If you're telling yourself this lie, God can't help me. Look in Psalm 3. David says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. God can't come through for you. But then David says this, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, 
my glory, the one who lifts my head high. See, he praises. He keeps going on. If you're dealing with depression, listen to David in Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? But I trust in your unfailing love. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. And another thing that we deal with, a fear of evil. We're afraid of things. Psalm 23, you've heard of it? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Declare that. How about when we're suffering? In Psalm 69, David said, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I feel like I'm drowning. I am worn out calling for help. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Answer me, Lord, out of the goodness of your love. See how David does this again and again and again, and he teaches us how to worship like this so that we can have worshipful prayer as well. If you're like, Matt, I'm new to prayer. I don't know anything about prayer. Come on Tuesday nights, our prayer team. I'm sorry, Wednesday nights, our prayer team meets at 6. Be here, and they will teach you and help you. You can kind of sit back and learn from them, watch them a little bit. Um, But we've got to learn to pray, and we've got to learn to declare war. So in this series, we're giving you a chance to practice the things we're learning. So we're going to have the band come up, and they're going to sing a few songs. They're going to lead us into that worship. They're going to lead us into that worship. And if you're here and you're saying, no, Matt, I'm depressed right now. I'm struggling right now. I'm in, in a trial, and I don't feel like worshiping at all. You know, I prayed for you so that you could come here today. Because I know that's how the Satan attacks us. He tries to get us away from corporate worship, get us away from the body of Christ around us. And here's the thing. You don't need to feel it to worship. You don't. In fact, I think sometimes when we don't feel it, that's when we need to worship the most. Eugene Peterson said this. Feelings are great liars. If Christians worshipped only when they felt like it, there would be precious little worship. And then he goes on. We can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. I think that's why you see David struggling so much. He's saying what he's feeling to God. And yet, anyways, he's declaring the truth of God. Saying, God is victorious. I feel awful. I feel ugly. I feel terrible that nobody could love me. But God loves me. He cares about me. We feel like everything's against us. That, that there's no way I can get out of this predicament now. We know that God has victory and has given us that victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to declare those truths. So I want you guys to stand with me as we stand in victory together over all the spiritual enemies and all the forces of darkness in this world. And we are going to worship because worship is warfare. And it's time to fight. Lord God, we declare that you are good. We declare that you are powerful. That all things are in your control. You are sovereign over all things. You are the only king forever. And because of that, we have your sovereign power on our side. And we claim it this morning. We claim your power for whatever we're fighting. Whatever we're struggling with. That you would empower us with your Holy Spirit. That you would cast out the demons. Cast out whatever we're dealing with, Lord God, right now. That we could stand in victory and fight not just today, but every day. And have victory ourselves. Lord, we declare war today. And we declare with the words of David from Psalm 27, Whom shall I fear? 